From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite sales podcast. This is From Vendorship to Partnership. Season two, Seller's Journey. I'm your host, Ross Rich, and we're going to be diving in with an awesome guest this week. We have Mark Ripley, VP of Sales at Mosaic, a really exciting company. Mark, if you want to share a few words about what you're working on today at, uh, at Mosaic. Yeah, I'm, I'm fired up. So just started Mosaic three months ago, and uh, it's early. So we're about a 100-person company, but it's very real. The market opportunity that we have is absolutely a very, very real. So we're basically selling software to finance teams and heads of finance to make their life just a ton easier, automate a lot of the kind of robotic stuff that they do today and help them elevate their role to a more strategic role in the organization so they can add a lot more value. So Well, we're we're happy users as well. That's how we got connected. So uh, yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. But uh, as a lifelong seller and sales leader, excited to dig into that stuff and start off with our classic first question. What do most people get wrong when it comes to sales at startups? So a couple of things. One is early days at a startup. I think the most important thing is plugging deep into the customer and Mm -hmm. asking tons of good questions. And that, I mean, that's fundamentally at the core of selling, no matter whether it's a startup, mid-range company or enterprise, but it's really whoever asks the best questions, builds the best relationships and wins the most, right? Period. So at startups, I think one of the tendencies of sales folks in general is to talk too much, pitch. They know what the problems are and they're just basically telling. Um, And those of us that have been selling for a while know that telling is not selling. So it's really about asking really thought-provoking questions to get the customer to open up and answer, but also to get the customer to think about problems they may not even know they have, right? We call that latent pain in sales, of course. So to be able to expand their vision and start to uncover and realize different problems they might have that your solution can, can solve. I love that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love about great questions, and we're not right now for listeners, we're not talking about classic discovery questions, right? These are really thoughtful questions that show that you've done some research, that you understand what yes. they do, their persona, et cetera, diving in that builds the best rapport. People think it's about all the questions you asked before and connecting with them as humans. One of the best things that you can do to build rapport is what Mark just said, which is asking super thoughtful questions that relate back to you really thinking about what they're trying to accomplish. Well, your point's really good, right? So sometimes people think of questions as just like this phase in the sales process, like discovery, but it's absolutely not, right? So these questions and discovery happen throughout the relationship pre-sale. They also continue to happen throughout the relationship post-sale. So this is absolutely just a frame of mind of tapping into your curiosity and truly starting to see the world from your customer's point of view, from your customer's lens. Totally. Totally. I agree. Well, uh, and before we dive into the rest of the questions, why should everyone listen to, you know, listen to our advice today with you here, Mark, I'd love to hear a bit about, uh, your background, how you got into sales, how you became vice president of sales at one of the hottest series B tech startups right now at Mosaic. I know a lot of people out there are trying to figure out how, you know, maybe they've been at a larger company and they've gotten to top rep manager, et cetera. 
you know, how do you get an amazing shot at a company like Mosaic? So I'll, like my background going all the way back, I got my start selling retail in college and I fell in love with it, right? Absolutely fell in love with it. I had the benefit of having some really amazing training early on. And the fundamental premise of that training is ask good questions, right? Mm -hmm. And just learn. And once you're in a good position to see the world from your customer's point of view, then you're in a great position to help them effectively. So I loved it. I started in retail and then I was a BDR. So started outbounding for sure. Back in the day, I was an AE for 10 years and worked from some absolutely amazing leaders. So all along the way, I was just soaking up all the really cool, powerful stuff that these companies were doing. And yep. I was also picking up the stuff that didn't make any sense. That wasn't working. That was disenchanting yep. the sales team and saying, okay, so as time goes on, I'm stitching together all the good stuff that when I'm a VP of sales and sales leader, I was able to put together and all the stuff that didn't make any sense. Don't do any of that. Right. So let's not overthink this. So, yeah. and then jumped into sales leadership about 10 years ago as a sales manager, frontline manager, and went through the common mistakes that most sales leaders do. Right. They think they need to know it all. They need to prove themselves and they tell everyone what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't work. That's just You're getting involved in every deal, every email, every whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Controlling the sale, um, not letting the reps talk like just, you know, but all that does is it's the opposite of empowerment. It literally just creates a divide between, you know, you and the reps. And then I had some good advice, turned a corner and started really realizing the power of, of empowering the team mm -hmm. and um, supporting them from behind, not from up, up front uh, when it comes yeah. to customers. Yeah. And um, once I did that, I started to see the results just take off. So a mm -hmm. lot more innovation. The sales team was way more engaged, way more involved, and just a lot more successful. So my dream has always been, okay, I wanted to be a sales manager and teach AEs how to sell. And then I wanted to be a sales director and teach sales managers. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately be the number one so that I could build a sales organization my way, mm -hmm. really around the culture and the power of teamwork and supporting each other. So that was kind of been my evolution. So I feel very fortunate to be here at Mosaic and, and have this opportunity for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing that uh, I think that you said that I hear from a lot of the best sales leaders, and I think a great sales mindset, even if you're, you know, starting out or you're, you know, growing as an AE, it's, you know, what's going really well and taking that, but also being aware of what's not. So you don't do that yourself. And I think that's like a great mindset of, you know, like every no gets you closer to a yes. It's like every frustrating thing, like being able to reframe these challenges as positives. I think that's like really the great mindset of a sales leader, sales manager or rep, right. And, 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 and finding, you know, the learnings in, in, you know, forgetting about, okay, this didn't work out, but what do you take forward to that? I love that, uh, that approach. Yep. hundred percent. Awesome. Well, let's, let's move on to the next section here. Effectively partnering with customers. I'm really curious to hear. I know everyone has a really different approach to this. How does your team think about effectively collaborating and partnering with your prospects and customers? So there's this concept that I've seen just have an enormous amount of power. And that is this concept of transfer of ownership. So the moment that the customer starts to assume ownership of the solution, the game mm -hmm. changes. So then the question yeah. becomes, as a sales organization, how can we instill that transfer of ownership? So they are no longer listening to us, but they are, yeah. they are part of the solution. They're actually in the driver's seat. Truly engaged, yeah. Together, Truly engaged. Yeah. We're sitting in the passenger seat, not the driver's seat. And once that happens, everything changes. 
Yes. So if that's you the goal, it. you feel it. It's like, uh, you know, this is not a theory. Like when that happens for the first time, it's funny that you mentioned this and putting it this way. I feel like I'm already learning a lot of how to articulate this. It's a different way of working with folks. Absolutely. It, it really is. And if that's the North star, that's like what we're driving at in terms of building relationships, then the question becomes, okay, what are the steps to get there? So yeah. in the beginning to your, your point's actually really good earlier. And that is before you ever talk to someone doing all the research um, and being able to come in with a point of view is really powerful, right? Now you're not going to preach that point of view, but in your yeah. mind, you're yeah. going to know where you want to go. So you can ask yeah. these questions and from these types of customers, hey, yeah, we work with this, you know, hey, you're a Series B company, you're the head of finance, you know, are you, are you, you know, these are what I'm hearing from these folks, right? Does that, does that resonate? And what about this thing specifically? Oh, shit, I was just talking to someone, you know, another peer about this thing. How do they know? And yeah. Absolutely. Well, yep. So partnering with customers for me is asking really good questions like we've been talking about throughout the process. And then understanding what their process looks like. So this is a lot of this is sales kind of blocking and tackling, but it's so easy to get missed. But understanding what does the process look like on their end? Where are they at? Who's involved in the process? Not just the decision maker, but who else is involved that will be part of making this decision? Um, Questions like, does the decision maker have visibility into this? Is this an approved project or is this something that is aspirational that you're getting started. Yeah. Um, of course, timeline, if budget is part of your sales process, you know, if there's a defined budget, great. But truly starting to get ingrained in terms of being a part of that customer journey with them yeah. is the beginning, is the nucleus of it. Okay, so now you've done that, good. So now you're, you're getting ready to do a demonstration and start to yeah. run the actual sales process. Also, just to pause, that's yeah. when you do the understanding of the process, not, Hey, you've done the demo. What's your pain? What's the solution? Okay. Now, how do we do this? It's where are you in your process? How are we going to be able to do this? And yeah, just wanted to, cause I see, I think 80% of the time, maybe even 90% of the time reps run it the opposite. And they think they're not able to ask these questions yet because they think they're going to offend someone. Yes. Not at all. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. It's a common mistake that people run is the only start asking those questions after a demo, ask it up front. You want a partner, you want to team up. Um, It it can seem a little bit awkward, but you know, one of the great prefaces that I've seen people use is just like, Hey Ross is the first time we work with your organization. So we don't know how you work. Yeah. You know, can you help me understand X, Y, and Z? And all of a sudden it just opens things up. Totally. Um, Sorry though. I totally interrupted you. You do all that good stuff. And then. Yep. So you do all that good stuff. So you you set the framework up, but that's not written in stone. So things are going to need to bend and flex as they go on. So now you're after the demo, you know, by the way, I'm a big fan of setting up meetings ahead of meetings. So if you have a demo next Tuesday, right now, I'll set up a meeting on Thursday with you so that we can circle back and get feedback. So going into the demo you know, you're doing the demo and you're not at the very end of the demo with like eight people trying to schedule the next step. You already have it locked up, right? So it's like, hey, Ross, looking forward to circling back with you on Thursday and getting feedback for the team. Just really locking in and con- yeah. controlling that process. Um, and it feels yeah. good from a buyer standpoint. It feels like you're being led, which is great. Yeah, you have to think about it. Go on autopilot. <laughs> hey, yeah, shit. This guy's already going to you know do this stuff. He wants my feedback after the group demo. He's not just trying to get to this group. He wants you know how we're going to strategize. 
you know, I debrief with folks after and they're going to do that because you have that next step on Thursday to talk to each other. They can't come to the meeting being like, oh shit, I haven't talked to, you know, Jessica and Sarah and John from that because, you know, slipped my mind. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So then the other, there's a couple other facets of partnering with uh, customers during a cycle. The other thing is, is that usually when you're meeting with certain folks, you're only meeting with part of the team. And the question becomes, how do you empower your champion or develop a champion, but assuming you have one, but empowering them to sell on your behalf internally. Mm -hmm. So in that feedback meeting, now it's coming back and saying, okay, you know, what were, what were the key takeaways? And ultimately what you're trying to get down to is what are going to be the drivers that are going to cause you to actually spend money and invest in this solution. Mm -hmm. So once you get that, then you work on giving assets to your champion um, to help them sell effectively internally. It could be a consolidated presentation. It certainly is some sort of confirmation of their goals. Mm-hmm. So we don't, they have a job. Their job is not to buy software, right? Yeah. So you want to empower them to be really, really effective at selling your software without you know, having the training, without having to memorize the, the demo and the recording, et cetera. So that's really huge. And then again, continuing to lock into that process that their timeline might've changed. Um, Mm -hmm. There might be someone else now that's involved in the process that wasn't when you first asked. That's okay. Like keep checking in, keep updating it, keep locking that in. So those are some of the fundamentals. Now, the other thing that, you know, we uh, love to use in more complex sales cycles that are lasting several months with, you know, multiple stakeholders and multiple buyers is um, a mutual action plan. So this is, usually we do it via Google, so it is collaborative, um, but basically it's just a way to keep everyone on track around next steps and expectations to make sure that we're hitting the timeline. Totally. Well, we know all about those mutual plans. Yes, if you're doing it in Google and Sheets, you're still ahead of the curve. Definitely check out a court if that's the case. But there's a better uh, way. (laughs) There's a better way, but still love that approach. You're doing the work exactly, Mark, like you said, you're doing the work for the customer. They have a day job a lot of stuff too that that really resonates with what you're saying reminds me of what I talked to my team a lot about which is buyer fatigue and doing deals fast isn't just about closing them and not doing the proper validation and evaluation processes they have a lot of work to do and they have priorities and they have bosses and all this kind of stuff helping them do that efficiently is going to prevent that buyer fatigue you're going to do all the documentation for them you're going to come with recommendations every meeting hey this is what i'm thinking you don't go Hey, so how are we going to do this together? What was the feedback? What do you think? It's you come with you come with that, you know, like you said, I love that point of view where you're open to the feedback, but you're coming every time with that point of view, with that next step, with that next next step and and really trying to get it done for them on their behalf. It sounds really simple, but um, knowing what the next step is coming into a meeting is really important. So that way in the meeting, you're driving toward whatever that next step is. If you're trying to get to power, then you've got to plan and negotiate to get to power. If your next step is to doing a secondary demo with another group, you're driving at that. But understanding what that next step is going into the meeting is critical. Totally. And before we get to the the wrap up questions, one thing that popped up in mind there that I think happens, happens to me, I'm guessing it happens to a lot of reps out there. The best deals, the warmest deals, sometimes I forget. Because you're doing this extra work on the hard ones. Hey, I got to do all this research. I got to do all this prep. Oh, no. This one, we had such a good first call, such a good second call. They're really in. Those are the times where you really want to double down on it. It's the you know the best fits is where you want to put in the most work. And sometimes I personally let that slip because 
you feel so confident about it and you don't necessarily plan that next, next, next step. And yeah. It really is about the process. So to your point, you know, I had a, a rep asked me the other day, you know, how do you treat customers that may not be a perfect fit versus customers that are a really powerful fit? You know, do you put half the energy into the one that may not be a fit or is more of a question mark? And I'm, I'm like, absolutely not. You know, it's either red light or green light. And so if it's yeah. green light and it's qualified, then you're absolutely running your process. And it's the exact same amount of TLC for, yeah. for all those prospects. If it's red light and they're disqualified, that's another thing, you know, but yeah. if you're working them, it's hundred percent full throttle uh, abiding to that process. Totally. Cause most of the time timing, right. It's like, Hey, we don't have budget now, whatever. It's like, yeah, you, then you have a great sales process and when it happens, it happens. So totally great. Well, make sure we have time for these last questions. I'd love to hear what's one piece of advice that you would give your past self. Let's maybe go back, you know, five, 10 years, you're starting out in sales leadership. What is the one thing that you wish you could tell yourself that would have been such an aha that you have now? The best ideas come from the people in the trenches doing the work. So as a sales leader, especially early sales leader, at least for me, is I felt like I needed to know it all. I feel I felt like I need to prove myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of managers fall into that trap, right? You get promoted, you're excited, you feel like you need to prove it, but it's the exact opposite. In a leadership role, understanding the best ideas come from the people doing the actual work is where it's at. I love that. Love that. Very hard to do though. One of those things is easy to say, very, very, very hard to, to step back and let that happen. But come uh, on, well, to wrap things up uh, before we go, one of my favorite parts of these sessions, we have a lightning round for you. These are going to be one word or max one sentence answers to the following questions. Are you ready, Mark? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. First one, most common misconceptions about sales. Uh, pitching is the most important part about sales. Yes, it is not. Favorite app or piece of software as a sales leader? You can't say Mosaic. Uh, <laughs> hands down, gone. <laughs> Love it. That Aspirational. Yeah, it is a game changer. Aspirational sales team to build yours after? So LinkedIn, I've always had admiration for the way they built their team. Very, um, very successful, very productive, but they also seem to have a really fantastic culture. Awesome. Most helpful work-related book or resource? So John McMahon put out a book called The Qualified Sales Leader, um, maybe about a year ago. That's fantastic. Built for sales leaders. So if you're in sales leadership, uh, highly recommend it. Awesome. We'll have to link that in the recap. And then hardest part of scaling sales at an early stage startup. Easy question. People. So bringing on world-class people, empowering them, enabling them, and keeping them longer. Doing those, those three things is just game-changing to the business. Yep. They'll figure it out. You're an early stage startup. You don't need coin-operated folks. You need people that are going to, like you said, especially if you're going to take, Mark, your approach and have them lead from the front and be on the trenches and learning and, and empowering them. You definitely need the right folks. So I love that. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining us here, Mark. This was super insightful. Excited to share this with the community. If folks want to get in touch with you to either learn from you as a leader or learn more about Mosaic, what is the best way? Let's go email. I'm just mark at mosaic.tech. Easy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining and uh, yeah, excited to share this with the world. Ross, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.